0: Well, we're, uh, we're continuing our series um, of the Ten Commandments today, uh, Ten Principles, as I call them. God wants you to be holy rather than happy. Um, and it's good to be reminded that that holiness uh, doesn't actually mean, like, following a strict set of rules. Uh, holiness means being set apart, being different from uh, the world around us. And as we've seen in every uh, one of the principles, that... that if a community kind of lives by them, is characterized by them, that community will be holy, and that creates the space for people to be happy. And so, the tagline we've been using um, all all the all throughout this series has been, "Holiness is what makes happiness possible." And so, today uh, we are back to Deuteronomy five, and our next principle, our eighth principle, is this: "You shall not steal." My guess is we probably don't have a lot of thieves around here, but maybe. Uh, My own uh, experience of theft really got going in the uh, mid-90s when Cox Communications put the first cable internet in the city of Mission Viejo where I lived, meaning that I had access to high-speed internet. And what that also meant is I had access to um, software and music that I could download for free. Now at the time, I I justified this because I was like, look, I I worked at Borders, um, books and music no longer exists, um, but I worked in the the music section and and when a new CD came out in 1999, it cost $18.99 plus tax, 20 bucks. 20 bucks for what, 10 tracks? Of which you're probably only gonna like 3? And you don't know because there's no way to find out. The only thing you can listen to is the radio. So you have no idea. And I was like, man, I'm poor. They're rich. Those dirty record companies are screwing the artist anyway. I'll just, I'll just, I'll test it out. I'll try it out. And if I like it, then I'll buy it. Yeah, I didn't buy that many of those records. Then uh, Napster happened around the year 2000. If you uh, if you're old enough to remember Napster, that was wow. That was wild. It was the very first time where um, where you could share uh, music files uh, anonymously with everyone. And uh, so I was a big fan of Napster. Uh, when they shut that down, there was LimeWire, and eventually the Pirate Bay came out. And wow, it was kind of amazing. I I think I mean. Hypothetically, of course, I don't know what the statute of limitations is on these things, but hypothetically, if it were the case that possibly maybe I would have maybe illegally downloaded music and software over, you know, a probably 10 to 15 year period, I would guess that the actual number is really high. And the, the, the interesting thing about it is I never felt guilty about it at all and part of that is because i grew up in mission viejo i grew up uh, right around here i grew up in an incredibly safe environment a high trust environment like when i was growing up our front door was never locked we would leave our garage door open all day long the actual like actual theft actual stealing like of of physical goods was basically unknown then I went off to college in North Carolina, Davidson College, and everyone at Davidson, we had to sign an oath. We said, I will not lie, cheat, or steal, nor tolerate anyone who does. And the whole community took it very seriously. And so again, I was in a place where people left their doors unlocked. Uh, doors, uh, room, Dorm room doors were open all the time. You could walk into anyone's room at any time. Uh, a classic Davidson moment. Almost every year at some point, uh, you'd walk by a tree and there was a $20 bill pinned to it and said, I found this on the ground. Yeah, true story, true fact. Very, very high-trust environment. Then I moved to Japan. Again, another place that is extremely high-trust. Tokyo is a super mega city, and yet, aside from some parts of the red-light district, you can walk anywhere in Tokyo at any time, and you will never feel any danger at all. None. It wasn't until I moved uh, to Pasadena for my grad schooling that I actually encountered a world where theft happens. I was 24, I think, 24 or 25 before someone stole something from me. I went to my car and uh, someone had smashed the back windshield and pulled out um, a green hoodie. And I was like, wow. That's not cool. And I'm pretty sure Nothing else in my entire life has ever been stolen from me. One green hoodie. About 20 years ago was the last time I visited the great city of San Francisco. Um, saw the Golden Gate Bridge. Truly, one of the best trips of my life. Uh, Scott Eichler's younger brother Jeff and I had a we did a, a road trip all the way up on PCH. Uh, all the way to uh, the Bay Area. We stayed with a client of my mom, so we were able to stay for free. And uh, she lived in a suburb, and so every day we would uh, drive into San Francisco and park and walk around. We saw it all, Haight-Ashbury and the Wharf Place and the Union Square, all the—we saw everything. It was wonderful. It was really one of the best trips I've ever had in my life. And to be honest with you, you could not pay me right now to go back to that city, Amen! <laughs> you suck, San Francisco! <laughs> well, I, but, I mean, seriously, have you been listening to what's going on in San Francisco? Uh, I have a picture here. This was uh, just one of... Um, there's like been a, a rash of of shoplifting and theft going on in the city. Um, in fact, uh, <laughs> I've read some accounts of people who've left San Francisco. There was this one lady who, uh, who said that what she did is she put... Um, when she left her car, she would... St- uh, tape signs that said no valuables inside please don't break my window because her window had been broken so many times she also was the victim of like a, a burglary where, where she was walking along with her backpack and somebody grabs her backpack and just ran and and the thing was she she's like I, I was so I was such a part of the San Francisco mentality that this was normal that I didn't even ask for help I just figured well there it is this is how it is Uh, last, was it last year? Uh, next slide, Marilyn. In 2021, two years ago, Walgreens closed their five stores in San Francisco due to rampant shoplifting. You may have seen the, the viral video, it's crazy, where like, you know, five or 10 people just come in and they just start clearing stuff off of the, the shelves and they run out. And in order to combat this now, um, the existing or the, the remaining stores like CVS, they actually lock up just about everything in the store so that there's nothing that you can just access. Uh, next. San Francisco has 41% more property crimes than comparable cities, including 67% more burglary, th- uh, 36% more theft. Next. <laughs> San Francisco's overall crime rate is 111% higher than the national average of comparable cities and 91% higher than the California average. Next. From 2020 to 2021, San Francisco had a net population loss of 125,000 residents. Next. In 2022, 75% of surveyed San Franciscans said their quality of life had gotten worse, and that was 10% higher than the year before. And last, 41% of all San Franciscans and 60% of renters are seriously considering moving away this year. And the reason, of course, is that San Francisco is not safe anymore. And it's primarily... uh, There's a lot of different problems. We will speak a little bit about the um, people experiencing homelessness problem in in, in a minute. Um, But one of the things that happened was San Francisco passed a a law, I believe, that made it so that it is less than a misdemeanor to uh, shoplift up to $950 worth of merchandise. And uh, the former... Da of San Francisco, Chase Budin, would not prosecute crimes even when they were arrested, and so what happened was people realized, "I can steal whatever I want," and they did. They do. Now, in the grand scheme of things, um, San Franciscans tend to be pretty rich. Most of them, um, they have a lot of really rich and really poor. They don't have much in the middle anymore. But um, in, in the grand scheme of things, I'm pretty sure that Walgreens is going to be okay. I think that they're, they're going to get you know whatever money they need back. I'm pretty sure that uh, CVS is going to be okay. Um, but what's really damaging about this is that the quality of life for normal people is gone you never feel safe all because of theft so the first thing is the eighth principle it don't take what's not yours even if you can get away with it and and, and again notice that the reason is because this creates a cycle when theft becomes the norm other societal standards break down we stop living in civilization it's extremely dangerous what i and that, this goes back to you know me hypothetically pirating you know thousands and thousands of dollars of, it for me it was like this is a victimless crime this isn't hurting anyone but the thing is if you get enough people like me thinking that very same thing and making that very same activity other stuff starts to break down So what um, what does the Bible say that we should do about theft, and especially a systemic or a culture that is being infected by thievery? Uh, this is from Zechariah 5. Uh, Zechariah is a prophet. He's, he's telling the people of Israel, they've been to, to captivity in Babylon. They've come back, and they're rebuilding the temple. Uh, they're... they're, they're hoping that this time Israel's going to be blessed, Israel's going to be good. Um, but what Zachariah says is, don't be complacent. Things can still get bad. And so he says this, I looked again, and there before me was a flying scroll. Uh, he, God, asked me, what do you see? I answered, I see a flying scroll, 20 cubits long, 10 cubits wide. And he said to me, this is the curse that is going out over the whole land. For according to what it says on one side, every thief will be what? Banished. Um, uh, more literal would be: every thief will be put out of the land. And according to what it says on the, on the other, everyone who swears falsely will be be, uh, be banished. The Bible is very, very serious about theft. I mean, banishment. Why is that? Why why do we have to be so harsh to exile people so that they're no longer members of their own community? Well, here's a few more interesting things to note about San Francisco. Uh, oh, wait, what's that? The homeless population in San Francisco is expected to rise from 8,000 to 20,000 this year. Uh, the reason is, is that now, um, I have a picture of one of the tent cities. Now, um, people experiencing homelessness are, um, they're, they're, they're flocking to San Francisco because San Francisco provides them with, f- um, access to safe needles so that they can, uh, do fentanyl. Um, and it offers basically free, free clinics and doctors to, be, to help them assess how much damage they're doing to themselves so that they can actually prolong the amount of time that they are able to experience and continue addiction. And if you're wondering where people who are experiencing homelessness get the money for the drugs that they are using, it is not because they're working. Okay? It's because they're stealing. Now, I don't want to, like, you know come into this. Th- that's a tent city, by the way. Oh, this is the next uh, little fa- fact here. <laughs> San Francisco spends uh, 60000 a year um, for each tent, for 260 tents. Each tent is $60,000 a year. Don't quite understand how that works, but they've been spending $15.6 million a year on 260 tents to provide shelter for the people experiencing homelessness. I'm pretty sure, I, I've never camped since I've been an adult, but I'm pretty sure it's tent's like a hundred bucks, maybe like 500 if you get a fancy one. <laughs> so I don't know how they're spending 60,000 a year on that, but good for them. And this, this, this kills me because I mean, look, I got, I got nothing but comp- compassion for people who are in the depths of addiction. I got nothing but compassion for he- people who are experiencing um, mental health issues. And, and I do think that that's, that's a, a crisis that we have to address and I will credit San Francisco for at least trying right? the, the, the city of San Francisco was like hey we're going to come up with a plan to really address these populations the problem is the plan is causing things to get worse they're going to balloon in their homeless population and as a result the burglaries, the thefts are going to skyrocket too That's why God says banish thieves. Because thievery, stealing, becomes a cultural thing. It becomes acceptable, becomes the norm. And as a, rose- as a result, you get more and more and more of it. It's the next thing, the eighth principle, tolerating theft increases theft. Now, when I say remove thieves from the community, I mean, personally, in my heart of hearts, what I would love is to have like a common sense plan to try our best to reform and 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 help the people who are going through this stuff. And maybe that means some type of incarceration. Maybe that means moving them to a different community where they can be surrounded. by. I don't know what it means, but, but something other than what we're doing. Because if you keep letting it go, it just gets worse. This could sound, I mean, yeah, here's, you know, here's the middle class white guy talking about, you know, people who have nothing, people who are addicted, people who are, you know, experiencing serious mental health issues. Like, who am I, right? Well, let me tell you something. This is what's interesting about scripture is that scripture gives us a little hint about where this problem begins. And, and, it, and it's not, it is not with the poor Okay. The problem starts somewhere else. Look back at that uh, Zachariah 5. Did you notice how weird that was? It's like, I see a flying scroll, 20 cubits long and 10 cubits wide. On the scroll is the the curse that God is going to remove um, all these thieves. But who is he talking about? Who are these thieves? Well, the reason that that scroll is 20 cubits long and 10 cubits wide is because that is a very specific measurement in the Old Testament. A cubit, by the way, is like from here to here. So it's not an exact amount, but um, if you were going to convert that, 20 cubits is approximately 30 feet, and uh, 10 cubits is approximately 15 feet. So we're talking about a very, very large scroll. Why that size? <laughs> so you can read it. Come on, Jack, your eyes aren't that bad, man. Uh, <laughs> No, I, I think it says, check, check this out. Um, if, you, if, you're, if you're familiar with the, the building of Solomon's temple, look at this uh, from 1 Kings 6. The temple that King Solomon built for the Lord was 60 cubits long, 20 and 30 high. The portico, the entrance, the entrance to the main hall of the, of the temple expanded the width of the temple, 20 cubits. And it projected 10 cubits from the temple. Interesting, here's a, like an artist rendering um well the, the, the part that we're talking about is at the very front. So um it, where where that, that big column is, that's the part that we're talking about. It's the entrance to the temple. The entrance is so, so what presumably is going on is is this scroll that Zachariah sees is just the right side to cover the front of the temple. Now who goes into the temple? Priests. Religious and political elites. In ancient Israel, um, there there was a very close relationship between being a a religious person and a political person. In fact, they were one and the same. Um, Israel was a theocracy, and so the, uh, the people who ran the country were priests. What had happened during the return from the exile is that a whole bunch of priests saw a whole lot of opportunity in rebuilding the temple, rebuilding the walls. And they began to take advantage of that. They began to start to take a little extra for themselves. And the thing about that is that, that, that they, that's great for them, like, way to go, congratulations, like, you, get, you got away with it, right? But here's the thing, the people around you, they see what you're doing, and they, and they know what you're doing. They can't do anything about it because you're the one with the power, you're the one who can sick the cops on whoever, and they're not, but they still see what's happening. And so as a result, what Zachariah is saying is if we're, what God's saying to Zachariah is we're actually going to solve the problem of theft, we have to stop it at the top. That's where people are getting the idea that it's okay. That's the eighth principle uh, uh, continuation. The the fish rots from the head. Leaders who steal create communities that steal. This is extremely important, especially in religious communities and political communities. Because when when there's someone at the top who wants a little extra, that's going to trickle down. And so, when I finally get that Gulfstream 5 that I've been dreaming about on the backs of your tithes, that's when you might say, hey, wait a minute. You think, you th- I deserve it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Of course. Once you start to see that, recognize that what I'm doing is I'm creating a culture of corruption. Corruption. And I don't want to say, I mean, obviously we're super blessed here in the United States of America to have a leadership class that is uh, doing anything but uh, being corrupt and, and enriching themselves on the backs of the taxpayers. Thank God. But, if we weren't, and I don't care if that person has an R or a D or an I or a G, Green Party, whatever the socialists, whatever the different parties are, I don't care where they come from, but, but if we see that, Know that what they're doing will come down. And I'm not a prophet, I don't know the truth of these things, but I gotta tell you, I strongly suspect that the leadership of San Francisco is pretty corrupt. So what do we do about this? Uh, Remember, what God says is we've got to banish thieves. We have to keep them away. We do want to reform them. There is a place for grace and mercy, but the stealing has to stop. Okay? And so how do we break the cycle of systemic theft? And this, again, I don't know that this is something that's actually super important for this community right here, although maybe, but it certainly is something that we need to be thinking about as, as part of Orange County, as part of California, as part of the United States of America as part of the world. Um, The theft theft cycle begins with religious and political elites. Support, donate, and vote accordingly. Please, please, for the sake of our culture, look for people of integrity. And I know that's almost impossible with politicians. I get it. But you know what? Just a few years back, we we, we lost him last year, uh, but Robert Ming, Um, who's on the head of the Stony Brick Board, used to be with the mayor of what, Laguna, Laguna Niguel. (laughs) My understanding is that the reason he uh, stopped becoming mayor was because someone played a really dirty political trick on him and he refused to retaliate. And so he ended up losing his election. But that man, Robert Ming, was a man of integrity. And the way he led Laguna Niguel was for the good of the people. And he really did do everything he could to make that place as great and as wonderful as he could. So they're out there. Sometimes they're hard to find, but they do exist. And if you had the pleasure of knowing Robert Ming, you knew that, you know that that guy, he, he he had a heart, um, he had a heart for God and he had a heart for people. And that's the kind of people we need in leadership positions in the church and in the, the culture, in the, the CEOs of our corporations and the, the politicians. All the people of influence power, that's who we need. Not Mark Zuckerberg. Number two, and this is just a more personal thing. Maybe uh, you or someone close to you has a theft problem. It could be... Um, you know, stealing off the internet, I guess, that's pretty popular. Um, but maybe, I mean, there, I knew, I knew people growing up who would, like to the thrill of stealing. Um, and yeah, it's not a victimless crime. Please stop. And if it's hard for you, come, come talk to me. I'll, I'll, I'll hold you accountable. I'm not, and I won't judge you. I get it. Like everyone's got their thing. Some people like to take stuff. I get it. Um, but what you're doing can can lead to a culture of corruption, a culture of victims. So please don't participate. Next, uh number three, do you and this may be the most important thing, do you have too high or too low of a view about your stuff? Because when we get down to it, like the what, what really causes theft is when we have a disordered understanding of the value of things. And it might not even be theft, right? It can, it can lead, if we have a, mis, a distorted view of stuff, we, could, we might have the money to be able to buy it on, we just acquire and acquire and acquire, we become acquisitive. And that's not good either. That might not be technically theft, but it's certainly a misuse or misunderstanding of the value of stuff. And if that's you, I, you're not sure, but you're wondering maybe that might be me, here's the challenge. Be extremely generous with your money. If that's hard for you, you may you may have a distorted view of stuff. It's hard for everyone, uh, but but if it's extra hard for you, you might. Uh, I think it was I think Rick Warren originally t- told this this story. Um, I, I can't tell the story anymore because I'm not allowed to eat French fries anymore. But when I, when I did, I, I did this too. What? Um, What Rick would do what I would do is I would go to drive through McDonald's, right? And I'd get um, my kids' chicken and fries. And they got those little tiny fry packets, right? I'd get a large fry for myself. And And I would eat it fast. And as soon as I was done with my large fry, I'd be like, oh, I need more. And so I'd be like, hey, Alice, give me two of your fries. She's like, they're mine. I only have so many. I'm like, it's a tax. Give it to me. She's like, you have a large fry. Like, I'm not saying I need your fries. I'm just taking your fries so that you understand what it means to be generous. It pinches a little bit. Olivia's like, yeah, not going to happen. <laughs> she stuffed them in her mouth. She's like, no, not, not going to work. But the, the point, though, the point is, is it is so easy for us to have a, a distorted view about things. The best way to keep a check on that is to get pinched. Pinch yourself. Have it. Have it cost you a little bit. And for the record, too, if if you're not, uh, if you don't have much, I'm not suggesting that you go into poverty in order to prove that you um, don't know the value of things. But if you do have stuff, it might not be a bad idea to try giving some of it away. Very last thing everything we have comes from God and contentment is key I never needed any of those extra albums I didn't need to play those extra games but I wasn't content and I could get away with it. And boy, in this culture, don't we have a problem with this? Always comparing ourselves to whoever. Always thinking that if we just had a little bit more. And see, the thing is, I think that that's bled down to the people, the poor in San Francisco. And they see we act, and they think why are we doing it? Remember, remember this picture. Um, Brent complains about this picture because it doesn't have any Asian American representation. Um, and Brent, I feel I, I hear you, man I, this it's It's pretty racist about who's excluded. You're right so we're going to we're going to face we're going we're going to photoshop it next week to put your face on one of those people <laughs> the goal is to create this community it's to have a place that's safe it's to have a place where thriving and contentment and goodness can can happen it's a it's a place where we trust each other and we live in that trust I've seen this community. I grew up with this community. I went to college with this community. I live in a country that is very good about this. And man, I certainly don't want to lose it here. And to whatever extent that that we can, I want to see it expand. And that's where we come in. Our holiness with theft can lead to the happiness of those around us. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we thank you that you have been so good to us, that you've provided, you've been so generous. God, wherever we're at, whether we're doing really well or we're really struggling financially or we're somewhere in the middle, God, I just pray that we'll have contentment, knowing that you will provide for us, that you'll give us what we need. And God, may we be a community that stands out as a a place that's safe, a place where people trust each other. May we never get too grabby about the things we have or don't have. Instead, let us live with open hands, willing to be pinched a little bit. And in that, may we be the thriving, holy community you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.